Bienvenido. It's my view from the rim. Um, been thinking a lot about my mission lately, partly in uh, a video that I'm, well, by the time I post this, the video will have been made and posted online to my uh, mission's uh, Facebook page. We're planning a little uh, uh, virtual reunion uh, where we're getting together um, virtually to celebrate each other and to celebrate our time together and to go over several memories. Um, each of us were asked to uh, uh, submit a letter to our mission president, um, which I did and I'm sure many others have as well. Uh, some memories. Um, for those who are not familiar, uh, let me just take a moment to explain. Uh, young men in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, when I when I went, it was when you turned 19. Uh, now it's when you turn 18 and have completed high school. Uh, the expectation is they will go and serve a mission, a mission uh, for the church uh, where you will proselyte and you will teach the gospel of Jesus Christ to people that you don't know. It may be in the United States. It may be in a foreign land. It may be in English. It may be in another language. Um, these days, with everything going on, you may end up serving in more than one mission because of, of the, the need to serve until you get your papers in order or until um, conditions have changed where you can actually go serve where you've been called. You don't get to choose where you serve. You submit paperwork into headquarters um, endorsed by your uh, bishop, who is your local uh, ecclesiastical leader. Um, a committee um, and a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles uh, review and pray about the individuals who have submitted their paperwork. And decisions are made where the Lord needs you to serve. Yes, I truly believe that that happens. And it's very interesting the way that it does and how things happen, um, whether or not you choose to accept the call. By the way, it's not a paid mission. It's uh, something that either you or your parents or um, in certain circumstances, the uh, your local um, uh, church unit, your ward or branch, or perhaps even the stake, the, uh, the larger unit that overlies the wards uh, may contribute to, or members of the ward may contribute to as well. So just so you understand, you don't know where you're going. You don't know what language you're speaking. You do know you're going to go and teach the gospel to some people that you don't know in a language you may or may not know. And you get to pay to do it.
Sounds like fun. Well, let me tell you, it is fun. Um, there is a movie. I'm not sure if you can get it on uh, any of the normal streaming services or not, but it's called The Best Two Years. And it's uh, a comedy loosely based on, uh, well, it's just an interesting scenario with some missionaries in Holland. Um, it's not a true story. It's not even meant to be a true story. But I would tell you that every every mission, every scenario that came up is something that I recognized when I served or looking back. Serving in Europe is not like serving in other places. Um, we always referred to those that served in the United States as those, you know, the American vacation they call a mission, and that's not fair, of course. Um it's very hard to serve here. Um, it was hard to serve in Europe, especially in Spain. You know, it was hard to serve there because when uh, people that, when I was in Utah learning Spanish and how to teach, uh, many of the people that were in my group went to Argentina or uh, Guatemala. And I would get letters from them. And of course, today, missionaries can uh, actually video chat with their parents once a week. Back then, um, airmail was about 11 days uh, between, you know, I would write a letter on my P-Day, you know, preparation day, your day off, so to speak, which wasn't a full day, just until 5 o'clock in the afternoon to do laundry and clean the house and shop. I'd write a letter and take 11 days to get home. And they would write a letter, probably in response, and it would take 11 days to get back. So it would be about three weeks uh, for any answers to questions or anything. Very, very tricky back then. But anyway, uh, back to the, the reunion. So, so my video talking a little bit about where I served in Spain and a couple of the experiences. Um, I served in uh, the, the mission actually no longer exists. Um, it was the uh, uh, España Sevilla mission or Sevilla would be better said. Uh, Mission uh, Southern Spain, including La Is Las Islas Canarias. Uh, my Espanol is terrible. Um, uh, Andalusia, uh, essentially. And yes, when I pronounce the C with a TH, that's correct. Um, the, the mission office was in Sevilla. Um, and I was in the mission office twice. One time, uh, the, but not at the beginning. I was in the mission home. In the beginning, went to the bus station, went out to my first city, which was Almeria, which was on the Mediterranean coast. Beautiful little city. Well, little, relatively speaking. Wonderful people, of course. I hate seafood, and guess what they all ate? Seafood. Shrimp. Clams. Squid. Fish. Ugh. Yeah, yuck. Um, from uh, Almeria, I served there. I went uh, from Almeria to Algeciras, which is also on the coast. Um, right across uh, the harbor from 
Gibraltar or Gibraltar. Very interesting situation at the time with Gibraltar. Uh, only Spanish natives and natives of Gibraltar or residents of Gibraltar themselves could actually cross the border there. If you wanted to go to Gibraltar and you were not a Spanish native, you had to go over to uh, Theuta, uh, which is a Spanish colony on the coast of Africa, which was not far away uh, because Ajefiris is down there on the very, very southern, well, not the most southern tip, but very close. Um, again, a lot of seafood. Yum. Uh, but Algeciras was a, a wonderful city also, wonderful people there. Um, from Algeciras, I went to the sherry capital of the world in a city literally named after it, Jerez de la Frontera. And Jerez literally means sherry. Uh, got to tour a bodega. Not, bodegas are not little stores, but it's a winery where they actually made uh, uh, processed grapes and and everything. One of the uh, the one that we toured actually the 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 senorita at the at the at the desk knew uh, her sister was a member of the church, and she knew that we didn't drink, and so we didn't have to pay for the tour on our P day, and so we went and took the tour, and we didn't understand why we didn't have to pay until at the end when. We were in this old-fashioned uh, medieval-type inn room, you know, with a low ceiling, and on one wall is all these casks of uh, wine. And you were able to sit down and, and drink. And, of course, uh, the, the lady knew that we did not drink, and so we weren't charged for the tour. But it was very interesting. It was very interesting to see how they, how they stored and how they blended uh, the sherry and the brandy and all sorts of other uh, uh, basic table wines and such. Um, and from Jerez, I went to my last city, uh, which was Chayen. And from Jerez to Chayen, I did pass through the office in Sevilla. Uh, to pick up uh, a an Hermana sister missionary who had arrived to the mission from Sweden. Uh, no, uh, she did not have a chance to go and learn Spanish. She did speak English and, of course, Swedish. And, and so she was going to learn Spanish with her new companion in Cheyenne. And so I did pass through the office that time. And then on when I was leaving the mission, I had my interview with the president at the mission office. And so there was a two times I was there. Um, I thought I had a testimony when I went on my mission. You know, I wasn't sure that I was going to go. There was a lot of pressure because everybody thought I would. Everybody just assumed I would. People kept saying, are you going? Have you put your papers in? Blah, blah, blah. You know, and, and I just, I don't react well to that kind of stuff. And so I just kind of stepped back, so, you know, and and ironically, well, interestingly enough, not ironically, interestingly enough, uh, um, I was hanging out with a couple of my friends, also members of the church, 
in up in Parkville, Missouri. And we stopped by the house where the sister missionaries lived in our ward. And, and they were outside and we were talking to them. And uh, the sister missionary, Sister Brown, I remember her very well. And she asked me if I had put in my papers. I don't know. I'm not sure I'm going to go. And she said, Brother Lefsey, do you believe the church is true? And I said, yes. She said, do you believe that the, uh, the prophet is the Lord's mouthpiece on earth? Something to that extent. I don't remember the language. And I said, yes. And she said, what has the prophet said about young men serving a mission? And then I knew I was really didn't have a choice because it was a commandment. Of course, we're not supposed to be commanded. You know, it's a slothful servant that's commanded in all things. We're just supposed to know and do. And I had been a slothful servant. And she corrected my path. Wherever you are, Sister Brown, thank you. So I went, but the testimony that I thought I had paled in comparison to the testimony that I gained while I was out. There were experiences that there's no way I'm going to share over a microphone. Things that happened, uh, personal revelation. Personal revelation, even when being uh, chastised, rightly so, to know through the power of the Holy Ghost of the calling of my mission president, that he was a man of God and that he was my priesthood authority. Priesthood blessings that I received and that I gave left no doubt in my mind that the Lord of the universe is aware of each of us individually and communicates to us no differently than in ancient times through the mouthpieces that he has called and anointed and set apart I have my mission call still that was signed by President Spencer W. Kimball. Signed by a prophet of God. I treasure that. When my father ordained me to the priesthood, to the Melchizedek priesthood, I understood 
the authority that he was given me. I also understood that that authority was limited, or the power through that authority was limited based on my worthiness. I learned a great deal from President Christensen. His teachings and his example, the discussions that we had in our interviews, companions that I had, Some I struggled with. It was probably my fault. Doesn't mean I didn't love them. Or at least I tried to. They were all such good men. And we were all just kids. I bear witness of the truthfulness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we celebrate, continue to celebrate this year, the bicentennial of Joseph Smith and the first vision. They think about how it all began that way. And so, um, as I close, it was the last song that they sang in Haiyan, my last sacrament meeting in Spain. I'll try to get through it. I'm hoping I can. And by the way, not singing out of the hymnario, but rather out of the hymnos de Sion, which is the hymn book that we carried so many years ago. It's God be with you until we meet again, or para siempre Dios esté con vos. Here we go. Para siempre Dios esté con vos. Con su voz os sostenga. Con su pueblo os mantenga. Para siempre Dios esté con vos. Hasta ver, hasta ver, hasta vernos con el rey. Hasta ver, hasta ver, para siempre Dios esté con vos. Oh.
Dios. Para siempre Dios esté con vos. En sus brazos Él los cubra. Su mano Él los descubra. Para siempre Dios esté con vos. Hasta ver, hasta ver, hasta vernos con el Rey. Hasta ver, hasta ver, para siempre Dios esté con vos. Para siempre Dios esté con vos. Cuando el temor os venga, en sus brazos él los tenga. Para siempre Dios esté con vos. Hasta ver, hasta ver, hasta vernos con el Rey. Hasta ver, hasta ver, para siempre Dios esté con vos. Para siempre Dios esté con vos. Oh, guarda de Dios mandara que la muerte nos hiera. Para siempre Dios esté con vos. Hasta ver, hasta ver, hasta vernos con el Rey. Hasta ver, hasta ver, para siempre. Dios esté con vos. It's my view from the room. Vaya con Dios. Have a blessed Sabbath. Pray for peace in this land and throughout the world. And that there be an end to this pandemic.